I think it's been pretty steadily cumulative. You know, I, I kind of would discover things and, and add it. You know, I, I really am a fan of just about everything uh, that I've heard because it's just so fascinating from the, from the kind of core musical idea of it. But I mean, I can remember a bunch of times where my eyes were just completely opened up to a completely new genre or chapter. Um, like in elementary school, somehow somebody convinced the home economics teacher to allow us to bring in a turntable and listen to a couple of records one day. And that day I heard back in black and moving pictures by rush for the first time. Uh, it's I'll never have another day like that in my life. Listen to the vibes. Welcome everyone to another episode of listen to the vibes. And I'd love to welcome Mr. Jim Terrell here with me. He's a singer and songwriter. He's got a new album coming out. And um, I, uh, before we do anything else, tell us a little bit more about you. Oh, uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, again, my name is Jim Terrell. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician up here in the frozen Northeast. I'm in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, I play shows mostly here in New England, uh, but occasionally we'll do uh, little tours in the continental U.S., um, but I, I enjoy playing my own stuff, but I do also do a lot of shows as a dueling piano player. And you do what, at least 200 shows a year? Yeah, I get to stay pretty busy. Uh, but you know, as a working musician, you know, you've got to wear a lot of hats. So I host an open mic, uh, one day a week. I do some solo shows. I work with a couple of different bands, you know, a classic rock band and then a smaller folk outfit. Um, so you just, you know, find ways to stay busy. Yeah. I read you've opened up for Don McLean. That was a treat. That was, uh, in, uh, a movie theater turned concert venue. Like a lot of these smaller towns have, uh, it's called the flying monkey right here in Plymouth, New Hampshire. And, uh, it was so great because, uh, during my little sound check, he actually came out and said hello to me. He's like, Hey kid, have a great show. And I was like, this is my favorite gig ever, because if anyone asks for American pie, you have to deal with it. <laughs> uh, he thought that was pretty funny. There's a lot of words to that one. Now, I have to ask this. How are you received going to a to open up for Weird Al when your music is not Weird Al kind of music? It's It's true. It seems like a peculiar fit. There's a little bit of humor i guess in my music you know some of it has a tongue placed in cheek but it's not parody work or anything like that um but the people at it was at the time meadowbrook now it's the bank of new hampshire pavilion i believe uh they're wonderful people and it's great that they involve local musicians in that program uh but you know the crowds thought it was okay uh eventually during uh one of those shows i've i've had the the honor to do it three times um, I opened up the, to crowd requests, like dueling piano style and people asked for some pretty peculiar things, uh, you know, to hear a guy take, uh, the song, I touch myself by the divinals, <laughs> drop it an octave, play it like a polka. Uh, it, it's not too far from something you could hear weird Al doing, I suppose. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 
uh, I, I imagine you probably get asked to play Piano Man quite a bit. If a night goes by where we didn't get asked to do it, it's almost like we had a night off. It it, it feels weird at the end of the show. It, it comes up a lot. Um, so I usually try to, at least on the weekends, I try to wait until it's actually 9 o'clock on a Saturday before I play it. Well, of course. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you've had four solo albums out before. So this is, what, number five? I yeah I think that's that's right yeah I've I've put out uh, and they're all they're all self produced uh, things uh, you know I've worked with some local uh, studio musicians and stuff like that but it's you know the the album I just put out uh, box of shells I've got a copy of it uh, here this is the first full album of original material on uh, RoboJack Records the label that I'm working with now. Uh, but it's been nine years since the last time you recorded. It was, yeah, it's been a while. Um, um, you know, it it took me a while to kind of get the ideas together, and once I had this batch of songs, I wasn't really sure if they were going to fit together quite right. But now that the album is together, I think it has a nice cohesion. Uh, I like how it came out. Yeah, it it's got different elements. Like, there's a a song or two I could say. I could see Paul Simon doing them, you know, and, and then there's others I could say, well, I could hear Peter, Paul and Mary maybe doing it, but you don't really sound like anybody in particular, which is, you know, it's unique in itself. That's good to hear because I feel like every time I write a song, I've got a specific performer or a specific idea that, that really is the driving template for it. Um, and I kind of unabashedly leaned into those uh, in this project. But, you know, despite my best efforts, I can't help but sound like myself, I guess. <laughs> hey, who else better to sound like, right? You don't want to copy somebody else's work. Exactly. But I will say that Paul Simon is incredibly inspiring to me. Just the conversational nature of his lyrics. Uh, the The delivery is such that you could you could you could hear those lines spoken in conversation a lot of the time and they wouldn't sound poetic and weird you know he uh he has a foot in both of those camps very nicely yeah what got you interested in doing folk music uh mostly the instrumentation really uh i started as a piano player and in this area at least when I was starting out, it was very tough to convince places to give me a gig if I was walking in with a portable keyboard under my arm. <clears throat> Much easier to show up with an acoustic guitar. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I started working with the guitar and I was very self-conscious about it because I was kind of learning as I went. So I decided what I would do is start writing songs with the instrument because that way nobody can tell you you're playing them wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh and those were kind of the sounds that I was led to. I'm also like Paul Simon. I'm a big fan of the the balladeer, the storyteller in song. So I, I think that's kind of where I went. I said, okay, my, my strengths aren't going to be, you know, guitar proficiency. It's going to be more about the lyric and the story and the atmosphere. So I, I think, you know, folk music is a natural place to kind of end up there. 
Oh, yeah. But is piano something you just wanted to do as a kid, or was that something oh, yeah. introduced to you? <clears throat> it was uh, fascinating to me right from the start. Um, I The first time I really played a piano was at my aunt's house. Uh, she had a piano, and there was a radio on top of it. I don't think they really played the piano. It was just there, kind of like a treadmill, you know, as a piece of furniture that just kind of sits there, gathers clothing. Um but this would have been right around 1980, I suppose, maybe a little earlier. And the song Music Box Dancer was a radio hit at the time, apparently. This little piano kind of run. Uh, and I walked over to the piano and kind of tinkered at it and figured it out. It was in the key of C. It was all the white keys. So I was like, oh, oh, how about that? Um, and my mom was like, oh, my God, he's a prodigy. We have to put him in lessons. And I spent that whole summer taking piano lessons, and I hated it because all my friends were out roller skating that day. You know, I was like, I want, I want to, you know, go and be a kid. Uh, but despite that, I just loved the instrument and, and it just seemed like a good, a good vehicle into understanding music. And I still think that piano is the best place to start for a person who's curious about music theory and the way that it works. Oh yeah. Well, I think Eddie Van Halen kind of started out playing piano and look what he did. Right. Have you uh, ever gotten a look at Eddie's guitar, like in person? They have it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over in Cleveland. Uh, it I, On my last tour, we were able to stop up there. Uh, and it's amazing because he, he put those two different kinds of pickups in there, and he basically chiseled out the holes to do it. So the thing is just brutalized. Uh, but... I don't know. Is there a better guitar tone in, in music? I'm not sure that there is. Brian May, maybe. Hey, well, Eddie was, he was his own creature himself. You know, he practically invented a sound. Right. You know, how right. many guys can say that? I mean, other unless you're he, Les Paul. Yep. <laughs> or uh, who was the guy from Boston? Shown. Oh, I Tom, Tom Scholes. It's Tom Scholes, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I don't know, man. You got, like, Jimi Hendrix. That guy did stuff that nobody ever did. Um, I mean, the Kinks. The Kinks basically invented the distortion by driving knitting needles into speakers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love history when it comes to music. Yeah. I'll watch documentary after documentary after documentary. I don't know if you are like that, but it just fascinates me from their start to how they develop their particular sound and all the little things that go along with it. Absolutely. I'm the same way. I, I love watching uh, documentaries, especially about the in-studio kind of experience mm-hmm. uh like uh there was a foo fighters one recently uh that showed uh the making of the um wasting light record uh and it was just so great to see they got one of those neve consoles and brought it to dave's house and it just <clears throat> i i can geek out on that all day <laughs> i did do that this last weekend i, I spent the day watching uh Let's see, Fleetwood Mac story, uh, Van Halen, 
And uh, let's see, there was another one. I don't know, but man, I've watched so many, I can't even keep up with them. And as a matter of fact, I can attribute the uh, the documentary on uh, the Mothers of Invention on how I yeah. got to meet your PR guy, Billy James, because he was in that documentary. Oh, fantastic. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, the guy oh. wrote a book about him and i was like oh man i i need to talk to this guy and then that's how i found out that he did what he did and uh, yep. and so the history of how you got to be on this show <laughs> is revealed no kidding <laughs> well, it's, it's an honor to be a small link in the chain you know <laughs> um i also find myself listening to a lot of music industry related audiobooks uh when i'm driving uh, to all of these shows I'm almost never listening to music. I'm, I'm right now. I'm listening to a book on creativity by Rick Rubin. As you can imagine, that's certainly worth listening to. Um, and I finished Elvis Costello's memoir recently, oh, wow. uh, which was great. And it was great that he read it, but had to back a few things up there. His accent is a little thick for me. I had to kind of listen to a couple things twice. Uh, Springsteen's uh, book was real good. Um, yeah, yeah, I love all of that stuff. Um, the, you know, as those uh, bands that are not as mainstream. I mean, you know, most people know who Frank <laughs> Zappa was, but he wasn't yeah. mainstream music. And but but his following. I mean, I don't know why I get. Well, yeah, I can know why a lot of his music didn't make it on the radio. <laughs> I mean, it took him doing a goofy little song for his daughter to even get on the radio. The uh, uh, Valley Girl? Valley Girl, exactly. Yeah. But who's your favorite piano player? Um, My favorite piano player that's playing right now is probably Ben Folds. Uh, a lot of inspiration there. I remember when I first heard that first Ben Folds five record. I walked into uh Newbury comics, little record store up here in, in New England. And uh, I heard it. And I had this moment that was, it was very reminiscent of what I've read about when Steve Martin first saw Saturday night live. He was like, damn it. Somebody did it. You know, this, this idea that kind of hadn't really fully taken shape in my mind here it was completely galvanized uh, in this band that just had the whole concept completely tightened down. And it just, it was a pivot point for me. Uh, you probably have albums that you've listened to in your life where kind of everything was a little bit different after mm -hmm. that. Uh, ben Fold's first record was one and certainly uh, dark side of the moon. When I first heard that was another where I was oh. just like, you can, you can do this. This is a thing that you can take these instruments that I'm playing and I actually create something as as sonic sonically deep as this, you know. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, Ben Folds, great piano player. Of course, I'm from the Billy Joel, Elton John camp, so right. uh, I, I like what those guys have done a lot. But um, I've got tickets to see Ben. I can't afford to see Elton John. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I, I my first time to hear Sergeant Peppers that changed my life. Uh, and I'm like you, uh, dark side of the moon was a game changer for me. Uh, as far as 
Pink Floyd albums go. I mean, I can't name a Pink Floyd album I don't like, but sure. Dark Side of the Moon just it totally changed me. And then, um, let's see. I'm trying to think, the first Frank Zappa album I listened to, but I mean, he's got so many. Well, yeah, what a what a catalog. I mean, this guy can come out with two or three albums in one year and none of them will sound the same. Right. The guy's just a genius. The uh, Man from Utopia album was particularly fascinating to me. Uh, the one. way that he kind of sings over those solos and, and or he sings a solo line and then they bring it back into the studio. And I don't know. It was, might have been Adrian Ballou or somebody uh, just played the guitar line to match the melody. You end up with this thing that just sounds like it was an impossible event. Yeah, no kidding. Well, music, it just, it, it was my companion growing up. I didn't have very many friends. And the friends that I did have, they were usually off doing something else and I wasn't included. So... I spent hours upon hours of just listening to the radio or pulling out a record album. You know, my, my grandpa was the one that introduced me to country music. And okay. so I, I have such a love for like Buck Owens and, and the, you know, that era. And my mom, she was more on folk music. She was a, a big fan of, of Peter Paul and Mary. And, and I, probably can still sing every word to every song they have <laughs> and my dad was more of the bobby vinton type music you know sure but then for me it was it was rock music i just i i loved rock not any particular genre i could say was my favorite because my taste changed through the years did you find that your your taste just changed dramatically throughout the years or did you kind of have a, a steady run of what you really really like i think it's been pretty steadily cumulative you know i i kind of would discover things and and add it you know i i really am a fan of just about everything uh that i've heard because it's just so fascinating from the from the kind of core musical idea of it but i mean I can remember a bunch of times where my eyes were just completely opened up to a completely new genre or chapter. Um, like in elementary school, somehow somebody convinced the home economics teacher to allow us to bring in a turntable and listen to a couple of records one day. And that day I heard back in black and moving pictures by rush for the first time. Uh, it's I'll never have another day like that in my life, you know, uh, and it was just, I, I was off to the races then. I was just like, oh, I got to find out about all of this. There's this much harder uh, thing going on. It's it's much more exciting. Um, and then all of a sudden, somebody uh, loans me a copy of Kiss Alive 2. Uh, and it just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it, what, that, that was quite a door to open. I certainly didn't expect that from a home ec class. Man, I wish I went to school with you. Right. <laughs> I thought it was a big deal when the teacher played Pac-Man Fever. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. And uh, 
one of my senior high school English teachers actually uh, did a, a, a project on uh, satire. And he printed out the lyrics to Kill the Poor by Dead Kennedys and brought it in. And, of course, I was a Mohawk trench coat wearing kid at the time. And uh, and I was like, wow, this this guy's making an extra effort to kind of speak to me, you know, here. I, I kind of respect that. Um, so, yeah, you know, we had these little moments of of real kind of musical involvement in, in what was otherwise a, a pretty pedestrian kind of school age. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. I'll have to say, when I was younger, even though I had all those different musical uh, tastes that were that were uh, presented to me from different people in my family, I was really more focused on the rock music. And as I got out of high school, I started to expand a little bit more, and then I got a little more into jazz and blues. And, and I'm talking like the old, the old blues, um, not the the blues like you'd hear Eric Clapton play. Of course, I love that stuff, but you know. And then the older I got, I found myself listening to stuff you really wouldn't think that I'd listen to. Like one of my favorite singers is Tom Jones. Sure, you know, and I wouldn't have appreciated him back then, but now I do. Yeah, I, I can see that. There's definitely stuff that I revisit now uh, where I'm like, you know, at, at the time, I wouldn't give this the time of day. Um, and a lot of that um, was, it, it, it's kind of weird because in the late 70s, early 80s, I really liked a lot of music that you would classify now as kind of yacht rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, for a while, I was just like, uh, I don't know what I was thinking there. Uh, and then eventually, you know, like, like you're saying, you, you kind of evolve your, your viewpoint a little bit, or you see things in it that you didn't see before. I will say that until recently, the last 10 years or so, I didn't nearly appreciate Jeff Percaro's drumming ability enough. Uh, the guy from Toto. Yes. Uh, but just to trace his history back and take a look at the people he worked with and the people he learned from, um, just an incredible player. But if you would ask me to sit down when uh, Rose, uh, what is it, Rosanna, it, when that came out, I'd have been like, yeah, I don't know. You know, Toto 4, I, I, I probably wouldn't have really gotten into that much. Uh, and I, I like it quite a bit now, although Africa is arguably a little overplayed. Yeah, when you get those classic rock stations, it's like the only songs they ever want to play. And Toto has so much great music in their catalog i've I've loved toto since toto four but then i was like oh man those are the guys that sing hold the line and you know (laughs) was it georgie porgy and all these others and this band's really cool and 
they their detail in the production where you can actually hear each in, instrument and it's not so blended together. Yeah. Oh man. Just I don't know, man. Did now you say you produced a lot of your albums? Uh that's correct. Uh in well, I did the first couple by myself completely. And then in around 2013, I met Ken Stringfellow, who uh, was in the band The Posies out of the Seattle area in the 90s, uh, went on to be a, a stage musician for R.E.M. for a few years and uh, rekindled uh, the career of the band Big Star, uh, was involved, involved with them. Um, and then I caught him on a solo tour, uh, promoting what was at the time his new record. And this was down in Asheville, North Carolina. And he said, I'm doing 50 shows in 50, uh, cities in 50 days. And I don't know anybody in Asheville who can put me up for the night. And my girlfriend at the time raises her hand immediately. She's like, we'll put you up. And I, I turned and said to her, we're staying with somebody. We don't live here. And she's like, no problem. I'll call him. We'll work it out. Uh, and she did to her credit. Uh, uh, so Ken came to the house and we got talking and he said, when I'm not on tour, I'm producing other people's records. So we stayed in touch and it turns out you can work with famous people. All it takes is a lot of money. Who knew? Uh, so <laughs> I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign. I got some help from some people and Ken came to my house and lived there for two weeks. And we did the principal recording, uh, while he was there. And then he mixed it, uh, at his place in Seattle, uh, or no, he actually, he was at his place in France at that time. Uh, so he did the mixing there. He invited me to come and look over his shoulder, but I couldn't work that out. Uh, it was mastered in Seattle. And then this album, true stories from a small world, uh, was the result. It came out in 2014. So yeah, it was, it was nine years before, uh, the, the latest one, but that project taught me a lot. Um, and I, I worked with a, a, a drummer friend that I know on that project and his name is Todd Moses, very talented guy. And he and I basically, uh, did the, the production and, and the mixing on the new record now. So the two of us have kind of run with what we learned from that experience and some of the other work that Todd has done, uh, in the meantime, he's got his own studio over in Vermont now. Oh, wow. Have you thought about just doing the production side of it and or are you just like doing what you're doing? Um, I've done a little of that for some uh, local musical friends uh, and and I enjoy that. Um, it, it's definitely an interesting part of the process. Uh, I'm certainly more interested in kind of bringing an idea to light and just following it through its entire process. So um, I, I like songwriting a lot. Um, even though every time I put the pen to the paper, it seems to be a struggle to kind of get past that, that wall and try to, try to write, write something and get out of my own way. You know, um, you would think that that would get easier over time. I don't know. For me, it's, it's just like starting from scratch every time. Do you have a ritual? I don't, uh, I, I, I haven't really found a particular way that works. So I try to, I try to almost approach a song from a different angle every time. I feel like I've got to sneak up on them. You know, 
sometimes it's just a specific phrase and I have no idea where it's going to go in the song. Sometimes it's, it's a musical idea. Uh, sometimes it's just a concept that I want to put out. Um, a lot of times I actually participate in an online songwriting competition now and then called song fight at songfight.org. They've been doing this since the year 2000. They post a song title, give you roughly a week, week and a half to write, record and submit a song for that title. Anybody in the world can do it. Um, and you don't win anything. If you happen to win, they, they post all the songs, people vote on what they like the best. And then the world goes on. Uh, since there's no prize, there's really no reason to cheat. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the argument there. Uh, but I mean, it's amazing to take a look at a song prompt, like don't forget to come to my house on Wednesday and see how many different ideas will come out of that. You know, uh, a number of times I've written a song for a particular title and thought, Oh yeah, I think, I, I think I really kind of nailed this. And then you'll hear 10 things where you're like, Oh no, that's, that's uh, brilliant. I would never have gotten there. It's, it's, that's a much better take on this idea. Uh, so that's been a good exercise. The most important thing about that exercise though, is the deadline. It, yeah. That's the most important creative tool to me is just having a cutoff. Does the pressure really like get your juices flowing? Um, yes. And not in a particularly enjoyable way. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm one of these people that uh, I'll never call a piece of art done if I don't have to. It it just, they always seem like they're gaining something. There, there's, you can continue to evolve a piece of work forever. Uh, and, and there's value in that, of course. But, you know, there's also something to be said for taking a project and cutting it off saying, okay, here are the good things in this. Now let's go to something else. Let's learn from it and, and move on to something else. So yeah, set, setting a deadline is important. With the new record, I said I was going to have it done by the end of last year. And it was uh, around noon on the 31st of December when I, I was I closed the laptop. And I was like, all right, the last edit has been made. It's done. Uh, and then it took, you know, a couple months to actually get it, you know, in a physical form. But, uh, but I, I like to think that I made it just under the wire. Yeah. I just was thinking of something. Has anyone ever wrote a love song without using the word love in it? Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. Probably. I mean, you would you would think that there are probably some songs that don't overtly say love that still qualify as a love song. That's an interesting thing. I, I, I'll have to kind of dig through some things. Um, I don't I don't overtly like to lean into the love song thing. Um, at first, I was just like, I'll never write a love song. There, there are enough of them. It's a, it's a completely well-explored topic. And then you fall in love. And then you actually have some perspective on it. You have some things to say about it. 
and you have to go where the muse takes you. But I still, I don't, I don't, I don't like to hit the nail kind of that squarely on the head. I, I'd, I'd rather kind of approach it metaphorically, I guess. So uh, I don't know that that alone is a good, a good prompt for songwriting to write a love song without using the word love. That's, that's a great way to start uh, a song project. See, now I've given you a challenge. <laughs> right. And you have to give me credit on the album. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Now, have you had any particular hurdles in your life that made it difficult for you to uh, either achieve your goals or well, anything in particular? Well, not uh, in the way that you hear about the kind of uh, quintessential starving artist uh, kind of thing. You know, I've I've done what I what I've done on the back of, you know, having a family and and working full time and finding a way around, you know, with the time available, uh, you know, working a, a full time job and then playing shows at night, and pounding the pavement, stuff like that. Uh, trying to get that going so that it could eventually take over and become my full-time career, which, which I'm happy to say that it has. Uh, but again, as a career, it isn't really largely driven on my original material. I'm out playing brown eyed girl for people that are drinking in the bars, you know, it pays the bills and it's a great way to pay the bills and it frees me up to be able to work on, the creative stuff and just allow that to grow in the way that it will. A lot of artists don't do it like that. They say, I'm going to play my own music and I'm going to starve until somebody pays me. Uh, and I've got a hell of a lot of respect for the people that can do that. I took a much more cautious approach. So no, I, I, I didn't have to really overcome any, any serious hurdles or, or make any great sacrifices like that. But, you know, that also has come at the expense of my originals career being a very slow burn. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. And I know I've mentioned Van Halen quite a bit here, but those guys, they started out playing a lot of covers. And mm -hmm. I, th I think it was, gosh, uh, 1984 before they didn't even have one cover on the album. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I love the Diver Down record, but that's got covers all over it. Oh, yeah. I think most of the album are covers. Yeah. You know, Dancing in the Streets, Pretty Women, or Pretty Woman, and uh, uh, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. <laughs> Sweet William Now. Happy Trails. It even ends with Happy Trails, right. <laughs> there you go you could do happy trails at one of your shows <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh my classic rock band did that once um there was a uh the show was until one in the morning and we were closing the bar down and just before the end of the night there was this bar fight and these two guys just came tumbling into the stage and they wiped out my keyboard um and you know they're just clearing everything up and there was nothing that we could do and the band is just standing there and the bass player just starts, go, goes up to the microphone and just starts, bumba -da -bumba. <laughs> and we just sang Happy Trails acapella and we packed our stuff up. <laughs> that's, that's too funny. Now, somebody was to come to you and say, Jim, 
I, I need some encouraging words for me to, to follow my dreams. What, what would that advice be? Boy, that's, that's putting a lot on me. Uh, the pressure's but, on brother. Um, I think we, it, it reminds me of something that really struck me in the Rick Rubin book that I'm reading now, where he said that whether or not you classify yourself as an artist we are all living creative lives. It is an absolute ingrained function of, of how we live our everyday lives. Even the, you know, picking an alternate route to work uh, is an artistic act. It's a creative act. Um, so it, it's important to have a perspective that allows you to recognize that, that you are a creative person in everything that you do. Uh, and it's not a matter of of not having that resource. It's just a matter of of recognizing it and channeling it. Um, so, you know, it, it creative people who have a hard time uh, manifesting work from their creativity can really feel kind of inadequate or incapable. Uh, and uh, Ruben's Ruben's words are really good for that perspective to say, you know, that no, it's it's something you can do. It's something you're already doing. You just need to kind of, kind of change your, your perspective, your focus a little bit. Well, what have you got planned to do in the future, brother? Oh man. Uh, you know, I'm playing a bunch of shows this week. I don't have a dueling piano show for a couple of weeks, so that's nice. I'll probably, uh, take the fake piano shells that I use and bring them up to my studio and give them a new coat of paint. Um, but, um, I'm on the road playing my way around New England, um, recording songs as they occur to me. I've got a little studio space here in Plymouth, New Hampshire, and I'm hosting an open mic. And my 11 year old has just started taking piano lessons. So he and I are spending some time in this studio. It's a, uh, it's, it's a golden age over here. Man, 11 oh, years old, 11 years old. Yeah. And he's, he's already playing the flute, but he's decided that the piano is interesting too. Um, and I'm not really supposed to make any big formal announcements about it, but here goes. Um, I, I just actually put an order in for a pressing of this album on vinyl. Uh, always wanted to make a vinyl record. Um, so it's, it's more of a vanity project than anything. If I make my money back, then I'll be lucky, but it's finally going to be done. I'm going to be able to hand my mom a record and be like, put it on the turntable, mom. I, I finally did it. Man, that's an expensive process now. Yes, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, like every part of the industry, uh, you know, the common man can actually kind of find a way in. The The record labels aren't the only kind of gatekeepers to that now. You know, you can source some of that stuff yourself. Uh, so it's exciting that there is an opportunity, but yeah, it's, uh, very tough to do it in a way that's that's really market competitive, uh, at least at my scale. If I was making a thousand records, I could get the numbers down and and actually probably make some money out of it. But, um, you know, short run stuff. Like I said, I'm just happy to have it out there. It's going to look beautiful hanging on the wall. It's going to sound really cool, and uh, I can't wait. I tell you, I remember spending like six to eight bucks on a record. Yeah, and now I go and it, like they have them at Walmart and Target and all that, and 
they're 25, 30, 40 bucks. Boy, geez, how does anybody afford to buy a record anymore? Oh, yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, I'm looking at these things and I'm thinking when I get these records in, I'm going to have to sell them for probably about 30 bucks. And, you know, the, the people that I've mentioned this to, they're like, well, yeah, that's pretty much in keeping with what I would pay. So at least there's that, but I don't have the opportunity to bring these to a record store yeah. and say, you know, will you sell these? There's no room for markup. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I can probably find a hundred people to, to buy a copy. Hopefully I'll throw them in the, in the gig case and uh, bring them to shows and see what happens. Oh, you'll sell out, man. You'll sell out. I've been accused of worse. <laughs> <laughs> Not sell out, but you'll sell out of the records. There you go. Right. <laughs> and you have a website? Yes, sir. Uh, actually, the best way to find me on the internet is to go to robojackrecords.com. And there's an artist page there that shows all of my projects. And it's got a list of my uh, my tour dates for the next few months as well. All right. And do you do social media? I do. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I don't do Twitter that much. I get kind of disenchanted by what's going on over there. Um, and just the nature of how information is, is shared there doesn't seem to be as helpful uh, to, to what I'm trying to do. Something like Instagram, where you can see a picture and some related information, that just it just works better. Uh, but Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all of these things basically backslash Jim Terrell. You'll find me. Well, I'm going to be sharing those links in the description to make it easier for folks to find you. And sure. Uh, and I, I wish you nothing but the best uh, in everything that you do. Hey, I appreciate the time a lot. The, the last tour that I did actually took me to Texas. Uh, my son, my, well, my older son was in uh, Air Force training down there. So I said, I'm going to book some shows and little bars and restaurants and play my way down. And I spent a couple of weeks doing it. Uh, I had a great time in Texas. The next time I'm down there, maybe I can drop in. We can have a cup of coffee. Hey, that'd be awesome. Uh, let me know if you're anywhere around the Austin area. That's that's where we're located. That's a part of Texas I didn't get to see. I'm dying to visit Austin. You'll be the first to know. And I just missed uh, South by Southwest, too. And I, there was some good people there. Yeah, there's a uh, some friends here in New Hampshire have a band called Say Zuzu that did a road trip down to play some South by Southwest shows, and, and they're back in town now. But it was quite an adventure. It looks like they had a great time. Well, you you need to come here in April because okay. there's there's a, a a place called the Hot Spot, and it's not a huge venue, but Ace Freely is playing there. No kidding. Yes, and oh, I am man. 50 bucks, pretty good seat, and I've got to get in there. Yeah, no doubt. I saw him open up for Iron Maiden once. It was awesome. Oh, no way. Yeah, Iron the Maiden? Worcester Centrum. Yeah. Well, a lot of good acts come through Austin. I got to see Judas Priest uh, not too long ago. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, Rob Halford still sings like he's 20 years old. And See, I love that. I, lo I love that there are some guys out there that have still got it. They can still pump them right out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be lucky if I get to his age and I'm still able to sing any of these crazy songs I'm writing. You know, well, 
get this, we got to see The Who. And that was a band that I've been dying to see all my life and never have had the opportunity or the money to, to go. Yeah. And Roger Daltrey, yeah. it's just amazing that that guy is almost 80 years old and can still sing like he's 20 years old. Wow. Unbelievable. I, I mean, what, Rob Halford's in close to mid-70s now? Those guys... Oh, he's got to be, right? Yeah, because they've been around since the uh, late 60s. Yeah. And, I mean, that's something to aspire to, to be that age and still sound like you're 20 years old. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and Daltrey set the bar pretty high. I mean, he arguably recorded the best scream in rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Well, listen to my intro because I captured it at the, the uh, concert. And yeah. I, I made it part of my intro. So. Oh, outstanding. <laughs> it's it. not not really copyrighted because it was live. So <laughs> I get it. Sure. <laughs> but, Jim, I appreciate you spending your time with me today, man. And uh, as I said before, I, I, I wish the best for you. Oh, this was a treat, man. Thanks for taking the time. Hope to see you on the road. Yes, for sure. And if you have a new album come out in the future, let me know. I'd love to have you come on and talk about it absolutely all right and i want to thank all of you out there if you are new to the channel uh, thanks for stopping by i hope you will come back hit that subscribe button and for my regulars and guys you make it possible for me to do this and thanks is just not enough so until the next one everyone please take care be kind to one another god bless and peace we hope you enjoyed this episode of listen to the vibes you can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.